Thank you, Pastor Gingery. Appreciate him ministering to us before we go to the Word. Uh, some of you caught me saying this Wednesday. I'll go ahead and say it again since it happened last Sunday morning. Uh, if we ever hit a service again and someone's standing over here getting ready to sing and I don't see them, tell me. Because I messed up last week. I sent Caleb an email Tuesday morning and I'm like, I didn't know until staff meeting Monday that I messed up the schedule. So just wave me down, stop me so that I don't mess things up again uh, and get that right. I do apologize to Caleb. Uh, also, it was good to be back Wednesday night. I appreciate many who were here. That was an encouragement to me. Uh, I have this growing sense, this growing lesson. I guess I said it to you last July, and yet I'm reminded even more now and uh, I even have written some things maybe I'll share with you at some point that uh, the church is meant to gather. Uh, my heart goes out to those of you that are still joining us on live stream, those who have joined us on live stream, because that's really not the way church is meant to function. And uh, it is a, you know, it's a help, uh, but church is a gathering. Uh, you think about the word church in the original languages, it means a called out assembly. And if you don't assemble, you don't have church. If you don't assemble, you can't do Ephesians 4.16 or Hebrews 10.25 or 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, you can't exercise the giftedness of the body or the corporate worship of the body uh, or the intentional relationships of the body or the witness to gospel fellowship that tells the world what unites all these people together is Jesus. And uh, it's just been something that's been on my mind much recently, and uh, it was great to see many of you here Sunday night. Great to see each of you here this morning. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Maybe it's just uh, getting a little older. I, maybe it's always been this way. But uh, to me, as I think about the way that I grew up and things that I see now, it seems like there is a proliferation, if you will, of youth mentorship opportunities. Uh, there are all kinds of programs today that says, here's an opportunity for a young person to be developed in and uh, creates all kinds of stress and busyness and things like that. Some good opportunities, no doubt. Uh, but if you say, you know what, this, this child just uh, seems to have some tech skills. Let's put them here. They can, they can take those tech skills and advance those things. Or maybe this student is gifted academically and intellectually, and if they want to get ahead, here are some programs that they can be involved in to help them advance those areas of their learning. Maybe there's a student who, wow, they show promise athletically, even though it's like 0.000002% of all athletes that ever play sports professionally. It's like, well, maybe. And so there's traveling teams and all these opportunities and coaching sessions to just take it that much further. We could go to areas of music or life skills and all these things to say, let's mentor this person to success. Let's set them up for a place where there's uh, the potential for a great job down the road or there's potential for financial security or stability down the road. Uh, we want them to be maybe socially accepted or culturally accepted. We want them to have good relationships, and the list could go on and on and on. And some of the things that I've just touched on really in and of themselves are not bad things. Blessings from the Lord. There's instruction even in God's Word that's given related to some of the things that I just shared particularly. And yet I want to remind us that whether we're talking about young people or whether we're talking about ourselves in life as an adult, if we succeed at all of those things, but we miss 
what Paul prays for here, we fail. In other words, what we're looking at this morning in Colossians 1, what we looked at two weeks ago, verse 9, but now 9 through 12, or particularly today, 10 through 12, is that important? That I could end up with a good job or great health or much success, but if I miss, or our young people miss, what Paul prays for here, we fail. Because Paul here prays for these believers and says, I want you to know God's will. And not just know it intellectually, but know it experientially. I want you to know what it's like to follow what God has in life and then to walk worthy of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And he's not even just going to leave it open-ended like, well, walk worthy. Okay, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, But he begins to spell out, here are four areas of what this worthy walk is to look like as he prays for them. As we review where we've been and we make progress through the rest of the verses in front of us this morning, I would ask you to think about yourself, your own Christian walk. To say, Lord, I want these things to be true in my life. Lord, I'm going to pray that you would do these things in my life. They're they're not things where it's like, okay, I, I got that one, I'm good. I got that one, I'm good. I got that one, I'm good. These are things that we're going to be doing until the Lord calls us to home to be with him. But I not only want you to think about them for yourself, I want you to pray them for your church family. Okay, now I'm not asking you to start thinking through individuals and go, you know, they really need that one right there. You can leave the application to the Holy Spirit of God. But if you would at least pray them for me, for all of us, for our church family, that would be wonderful. And then I would also say, just in light of the illustration that I began with a moment ago, if the Lord has entrusted you with children in your home, pray these for your children. Particularly think through these as, you know, there are so many messages that are coming our way to go, here's what success looks like to go, Lord, I don't want to succeed at those and miss this. I want to pray that you would do this in the life of my child. Let me reread the text, and then I'll review with us before we move on. Verse 9, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Last week, as we start, or two weeks ago, rather, as we started into this prayer, we noted that Paul's prayer is a response to the active work of the gospel in these Colossian believers. They're people that the Apostle Paul has never met, and yet while he is imprisoned in Rome, he's heard about what the gospel has done. He's heard about their faith. He's heard about their love. And so as he mentioned in verses 3 through 8, all of that work, he begins to pray for them in verse 9. Long before he ever starts to instruct them and say, now you need to know this, you need to think this way. Here's the commands that you need to obey. He starts at a wonderful place for all of us simply by saying, I'm praying for you. And here's what I am praying for you. Again, his example of selflessness should challenge us as he prays for them while he himself is imprisoned and he's never met him. And his example of faithfulness should motivate us because he's praying always. This isn't intermittent or occasional like, well, you know what, I just heard a message at church last week and so I'll pray this week and yeah, somewhere along the way it disappeared, right? He's praying always for them. 
And so we moved from that response to the active work of the gospel to a request, secondly, for the experiential will of God. And we said his request really is this, that you would live in the fullness of God's will. That you would live in the fullness of God's will. The idea of the request is this. We broke it down a number of ways, but let me summarize it with three. That you would know what God desires and expects in life. That you would know what God desires and expects in life. I mean, there are plenty of texts that tell us, here is the will of God for you. So that you would know what God desires and expects for your life. Number two, that you would see it in the various circumstances of life. That it wouldn't just be knowledge in your brain, but it would be applied in life. And then third, that you would experience the complete satisfaction that living in his will brings. We'll see this even in part of what he prays in a few moments later on this morning. But, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I know what God says and I'm trying to do it, but I'm miserable in the process. That's not what God intends. It's not what God intends. If that's where we're at, there is still much work for the Spirit of God to do. Now, again, so that we're clear, it doesn't mean that life is going to be easy or everything's going to be desirable. There is difficulty. We are reminded that we live in a sin-cursed world. But that as we know the will of God, we apply it in our life situation, that we would do it being satisfied, complete, full in Him. That is that recurrent theme throughout the book of Colossians that we put in front of you. The Colossians are being tempted to think satisfaction in life is found in knowing more. Satisfaction in life is in obeying these rules. Satisfaction in life is dealing with these mystical things and worshiping angels. And Paul's saying, none of that is true. You are complete in Jesus Christ. Walk in him. And so he prays that they would live the Christian life with spirit-directed skill. Or, as we said a moment ago, that they would live in the fullness of God's will. We said he's praying for them personally. That's ye. That this would be true for them individually and corporately, but he prays for them personally. He prays for them completely, that ye might be filled. That word filled, as we talked about, is so full that nothing else can be added. We had uh, one of those extra free turkeys from Thanksgiving, so we had turkey yesterday. It was a little strange in March, at least for me. Um, seems like corned beef is right right now, and we're having turkey, okay? Uh, but we had turkey yesterday. You know, we, whenever I think of turkey meals, I think of being like so completely full that nothing else fits, right? Paul's saying, I want you to be completely full, satiated, satisfied, so that you're not going, oh, I need more, I need more, I need more. I mean, again, walking through the last 12 months, we've watched as things, life has changed dramatically, and people begin to go, you know what, life isn't meaningful because, and I need this, and what about this? And there's this anxiety and frustration and unrest. Instead of being reminded, you know what, Christ has not changed. God has not changed. His word has not changed. There's a need for us to be Filled with the knowledge of his will. Completely satisfied in the knowledge of God's will. So he prays for them to know God's will personally, completely, and experientially. That's the word knowledge there. Again, this word particularly uh, speaks of seeing knowledge applied in life. And again, it says to know his will, not yours. He's not saying that uh, you'd be completely satisfied in your dreams, Every expectation met. 
but that she'd be completely satisfied in knowledge of his will. And he says he prays that this would happen wisely or applicably in all wisdom and spiritually or appropriately in all spiritual understanding. That you would begin to navigate the circumstances of life because life changes. We know the word doesn't. We know God doesn't, but life changes. We walk through all sorts of life-setting changes. You know, when you're a child, you advance from one grade to the next. Perhaps your family moves at some point. Or as an adult, we might say, well, I've, I've changed work. I, I have a different job. I have a different boss. I, I had young children. Now I have middle-aged children. Now I have teenagers. Now my kids are gone, and this is really weird. And now my kids are getting married. And Just life changes all the time for all of us. I had my parents, now I don't have my parents, and I'm retired, and again, life is full of all these changes. And in the midst of all of those different settings, with all the different personalities represented even here in this room, that you would, in spiritual understanding, discernment through the Spirit of God, know the fullness of God's will. Today, we move to the next aspect of his prayer, and said that you would live in the fullness of God's will personally, completely, experientially, wisely, and appropriately, we lastly say, and worthily, speaks to the living out of it. He's prayed all of this in order that, is the idea of that simple word that, in order that ye might walk worthy of the Lord. That you would live in the fullness of God's will worthily. That it wouldn't just be, oh yeah, I see it, I get it, I can conceptualize it. But that it impacts how you live day by day, moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance, relationship through relationship, conversation by conversation. So we look at this idea of living worthily. I think J.B. Lightfoot said it well. The end of all knowledge is conduct. We don't want to just stuff stuff into our brain. We're living in a world that is sending you more and more information, like you need to know, 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 and it doesn't really impact how you live. In fact, like I've said to a few people even over the last week, like God did not design us for omniscience because we're being told, you got to decide on this, you got to have opinion on this, what about this, what about this, what about this, what about this? It's like, I don't know what to think. I find this prayer incredibly helpful and refreshing. Because I may not have all of the answers on cultural issues, medical issues, but I can go to the Word. And I can say, God, would you help me to know your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding? Would you help me to live my life worthy of you, pleasing to you? God, that's what I need. As we look at this idea of living in the fullness of God's will worthily, let's look at it first in conduct. That is that phrase that ye might walk worthy, or the idea of that ye might be walking worthy. That walk speaking of how we conduct life. It's just, I'm going through my day. Today's a work day, I'm going to work. Today's the weekend, I'm off of work. I'm going to the store, I'm going to meet this person, I'm going to have this conversation. That in all of those different arenas of life, in how you are walking out, living out life, You're doing it worthy of the Lord. The one who is your Savior if you put your faith in Christ. The one who, because he is your Savior, is also your master. He's Lord. He's in control. Again, there there are other people in life we want to please, even biblically, right? Um, it, It is a good thing to go, you know what, I want 
the person who is my boss to be happy with what I do. It's not my ultimate goal, but it is a goal. I, I want my spouse to be happy. I mean, biblically, that's a biblical thought. It's truth. It's reality. But here we're reminded, transcendent overall, is we are to walk worthy of the Lord. That's the conduct. But the consequence is spelled out of the very next phrase, unto all pleasing. Pleasing Him. Finding satisfaction in my life by pleasing Him, not me. You know, if I live for me, if you live for you, life is a disaster. If we live for others, and that's the primary goal, then we're in trouble. We're, again, even when it comes to work, if our boss becomes the ultimate goal, we miss the idea of not as men, not with, uh, as, uh, men pleasers, not with eye service. I'll address that later on in Colossians 3. It's a problem. But it is to be about pleasing him, doing what's right before him. You know, again, we need to walk a delicate line here because in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Romans chapter 8. Those are wonderful things. Okay? We are not saved by our works. But we do want to live out life in a manner that does please God. We have an inseparable relationship with God in salvation. But there are times where our sin breaks fellowship with God. Right? Our, our, our prayers can be hindered. 1 Peter chapter 3. Our iniquities can stand between us and God. Isaiah 59, Proverbs 28, Isaiah 6, or Psalm 66, verse 18. So we want to walk worthy of him in a way that pleases him, delights him, sets him as the goal. And as Paul begins to spell out, I'm praying this for you, he gives four characteristics of what that looks like. If, if our conduct is walking worthy of the Lord, the consequences it pleases Him, what does it look like? And he spells out these four characteristics. Years ago, we've looked at them. We'll review them again today in hopes that they'll impact life for you and for me this week. These four characteristics are four participles. They, they're all the same exact um, Greek verb form, if you will, except for this. Two are active, one is passive. And I know some of you are like, oh, grammar, right? Again, active is when the subject does the action. Passive is when the subject receives the action. So how does that help us here? You don't have to know active, passive. Here's what you need to know. Some of these God wants you to do. Some of these God needs to do in you. That's a big deal. Because if you try to do what God is supposed to do, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Talk about frustrating. You and I are no replacement for him. And yet, we can't sit back and go, well, you know what? All right, Lord, I want to walk worthy. You do it all. Because two of these, he's saying, you do this as he prays for them. Again, let me just point them out to you that most of them are similar the way they're translated. One is different. Let me just point them out to you, and then we'll go through them. One is being fruitful in every good work. Two is increasing in the knowledge of God. Three, we could say, is being strengthened with all might. And four is giving thanks. Now, which of those four do you do? And which is God to do? Which are active, which are passive? 
the first and the fourth are active. That you would be being fruitful in every good work. That you would be giving thanks. But while you're doing that, God would help you be increasing in the knowledge of him. That God would be strengthening you. I'm really thankful for that one. We'll get there in just a moment. Not like, okay, Dan, new week in front of you. It's on you, man. Can't do it. Can't do it. Let's look at these four this way. Number one, I've shared this exact outline with you once before, but are these same descriptions for each of them. The first is we are to be a producing people. Paul prays for the Colossian believers. We should pray for ourselves and one another that we would be a producing people being fruitful in every good work. We touched this Wednesday in our introduction to our study on the fruit of the Spirit that God's Word over and over and over again uses fruit as an analogy for multiple arenas in the Christian life. The gospel is to bring forth fruit. The Word of God is to bring forth fruit. The Spirit of God is to bring forth fruit. Believers are to bring forth Fruit, and we could go to area after area after area. We're not told here that you would be fruitful by, and I'm referring to the use of the word or the gospel or the spirit of God. He just says in every good work that you do, that you would be fruitful. Remember, God saved us. God saved us to do good works. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved to do good works. We could go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and see that very, very clearly there. We could go to Titus. We studied Titus not too long ago. Titus hits this theme over and over. Chapter 1, verse 10, they profess that they know God, but in every good work, they're reprobate. It's like they claim to know God, but they're useless. Ooh, ouch. He says, no, God saved you, saved for himself a people, Titus 2, verse 14, a people zealous of good works. People who want to do good to all around them. Zealous of good works. It shows up in how we respond to government, Titus chapter 3, verse 1. It shows up two other times later on in Titus chapter 3. I believe it's verse 18 and verse 14. You have to go back and check me on that. Paul here is praying. I don't want, just want you to like Say, well, I'm going to set into my day and try to do good works. But God, would you help them to be fruitful in what they do? You know, when you walk into work tomorrow, our prayer should be for you. You know what? As they try to do good for the glory of God, I want you to bless them. Because I want them, I want you, I want them to be fruitful in that. As you strive to be the individual at home or in your neighborhood or in your church that you should be, that we would be praying, would you help that individual to be fruitful in every good work? You ever put a ton of effort into something only to fail? I hate that. I hate that. Where it's like, oh man, I have worked and worked and worked. You take something apart, you're trying to fix it and repair it, you put it all back together, and it doesn't work. Right? The, the little lock actuator in our van went bad recently that makes the lock go up and down. So you couldn't unlock it by the thing. You couldn't unlock it. That way you just had to go inside. I mean, really inconvenient in the 21st century, right? So I'm taking the inside of the van door apart, taking everything out, put it all back together. And I'm like, yes, the lock works. And that was over the weekend. And my wife calls me on Monday while she's out grocery shopping. She's like, I rolled the van window down and won't go back up. 
Well, whose fault is that? We're taking the door back apart because someone didn't put it together right. Don't you hate that? You know, spiritually, we ought to be striving to do good works, whether it be sharing the gospel, whether it be growing in the word, whether it be ministering to those around us, saved or unsaved. And we don't simply want to beat our head against the wall going, well, that was another failure. So let's pray that as we interact with our own spiritual growth and others around us, that God would cause us to be fruitful in every good work. We're putting in all of this work, all of this effort, but asking God to bless. I mean, even the Bible speaks of the fruit of our labor in the Psalms. To say, Lord, would you cause this work to be productive, to bring glory to yourself? Not to me, but to bring glory to yourself. Are you seeking to do good in life, in your own spiritual growth? Let's pray that you'd be fruitful. Are you seeking to do good in life in your home? Your job? Your neighborhood? Lord, would you help us to be fruitful in every good work? When we minister in church, say, Lord, would you help me to be fruitful in every good work? We want to be a productive people. But secondly, we are told to be also a progressing people. We ought to pray this for ourselves. God, would you help me to be progressing or increasing in the knowledge of God? Would you help me grow in this experiential knowledge of you? Same idea of knowledge here. Yes, we need to grow intellectually, doctrinally but we also need to grow practically and experientially. I think if I asked categorically for most in here, probably everybody go, hey, is God good? Oh, yeah. But you know what? It's a different thing from reading Romans 8.28 to walking through life, praying through something incredibly difficult, seeing God answer and go, wow, God has been so good to me. God has loved me so deeply. That helps you increase in the knowledge of God. It's no longer theoretical in your brain. It's practical in your life. It's praiseworthy in life because you see it. Again, we live in this world that is constantly bombarding us with information. Here's things to know. Here's the next video to watch. Here's the next article to read. Here's the next show to follow. Here's the next podcast to listen to. Here's more. Here's more. Here's more. Here's more. Here's more. You know what? A lot of times we're wasting a ridiculous amount of time taking in just meaningless information, right? What if we invested that time in saying, God, I want to know you. I want to be in your word. I want to see this truth play out in life for me. I don't want to waste all this time. Right? And we, again, we, today we claim, well, we're doing this to be informed. Really, we're just getting the next opinion that kind of feeds our own opinions already. The news has changed dramatically in that regard. It's giving us the next thing to be angry or upset about that kind of just insulates us further in our own ideas. Instead of saying, God, would you help me to process this biblically? God, would you increase my knowledge of you? How do you want me to respond so that I can experience and live out your will in life right now? Again, this is passive. We need God to do this. We need God to be working in us. Again, there's 
We can say there's a reciprocal relationship to an extent because a student who sits in class, who doesn't listen, who doesn't do their work, doesn't learn. But it's like, Lord, I just need you to teach me. I need me to increase your knowledge. Now, that might mean some uncomfortable curriculum. I hope you know what it's like to walk through circumstances in life you would have never chosen. But afterwards, go, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I would not have seen it. I would not have said it. I would not want to do it again. But Lord, you've increased my knowledge of you. I've seen your goodness in unique ways. I've seen the truth and reality of your word in incredible ways. We should be praying that we, God would enable us to be fruitful in every good work, that God would be increasing us in the knowledge of his will, in the knowledge of himself. Third, We're not only to be a productive or producing people, a progressive people, but we are to be a power-filled people. Verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Again, this is passive, speaking of something God is going to do to us where he is strengthening us, he is enabling us, he is empowering us. We could say it this way, it is done continually because it's present tense, it's done sufficiently because it's done by God. Again, I would guess many of the adults, maybe the young people in the room as well, know what it's like when it's like, I, I, I just don't know that I can do this. I mean, what God is working on me on is hard. The circumstances God has put in front of me seem impossible. Obedience in that area just seems unachievable. Temptation seems so strong. Or uh, this positive area of ministry, I just don't think I can. There's no way. Have we stopped to pray, God, would you strengthen me with your might? The kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead, it's it's fascinating, by the way, how these themes show up time and time again in Paul's prayer. I don't have time to take you there, but go look sometime at Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, and Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Like, look at the power of Christ and ra- or God in raising Christ from the dead. Ephesians 3, that you would be strengthened in the inner man. Very same thing here. But you know, so often we lean on our own resources. Like, we get Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all that heart and lean not on their own understanding. Okay, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding, but I am going to lean on my own strength. But we're weak. And God graciously begins to expose us to our own weakness. You go, you need me. You must have me. So I think we would be wise, do well to pray as Paul prays here. God, would you fill me with your strength? Would you fill me with your power? Notice the two arenas in which he spells this out. Unto all patience. We touched this word in our study on Wednesday nights uh, in Hebrews 12, but this word patience means to remain under. It's a combination of two Greek words. To remain under. God, would you strengthen me not to get out, but to stay under where I'm at? God, I don't think I can take one more day at work right now with what's going on. Lord, what's going on in our home right now is so hard. God, I I don't think I can handle this. God, would you strengthen me with all might unto all patience, unto all remaining 
under. Again, there are many times in life where God turns his back to himself to say, you need me to carry you. It would be far better than just walking through those circumstances to be praying, saying, God, would you do this according to your incredible power, your glorious power, unto all patience remaining under. Secondly, it's not just this power for endurance while remaining under. It is this power for endurance without retaliation. He says, with long-suffering, without hitting back. This long-suffering, speaking of long-facedness, of bearing up under without retaliation or complaint. We're not going to play the hit-back game, even though that's in in our culture. Like, I'll just lash out with my words. I'll show my wife. I'll show my husband. I'll show my coworker. I'll show my boss. I'll show my neighbor. I'll show that person. I don't even know online. Right? Or would you just strengthen me with all might according to your glorious power? And all patience with long suffering. With long suffering. And yet that long suffering gets qualified in an even harder way, does it not? It's not just and long suffering, period. Sorry, just gotta get through. With joyfulness. That's like game over for me. I'm like, all right, Lord, guilty. Yeah, Lord, I want you to strengthen me. I mean, it's just hard. We're going to get through the Lord. Just give me enough to remain under, to endure long. All right. And then he says, with joyfulness. You know what that is? When that happens, it is incredibly clear to everybody around, that is grace. Nothing else explains that. That is grace. Because that's not me. That's not you. That is God working in us. I mean, you can look. Paul's an incredible example. The man is under arrest again. You remember our study in Acts? Like, every time, let me go preach the good news. The Messiah came. Like, he's here. Just believe. And everybody's like, let's throw you in jail. I was like, okay, I'll sing. Paul illustrates in life what we're seeing here. But it ought to be true for us in our, in our homes where those closest to us see us under the pressure, see us when our guard is down, going, whoa, dad, mom, husband, wife. I, I, I don't know how they're doing it. But they're strengthened with God's might and there's joy. There's joy there. I mean, that is part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? We're going to get there on Wednesday night. They're doing it with joy. We need His power. So far, we've said that we want to be a producing people, people who bear fruit in every good work, people who are being uh, progressing people, increasing in the knowledge of God, but also a people who are power-filled, enabled by the Spirit, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. And then finally, a praising people. Coming out of that going, you know what? I am giving thanks to the Father for what he has done. We're going to touch that briefly here today, but we'll pick that up in a couple weeks. Because he's just going to, in typical Paul fashion, he's going to explode and kind of go on this verses long rant as to, let me just remind you what God did for you. It's like, whoa, it's amazing stuff. But he says, part of walking worthy 
part of experiencing and living in the fullness of God's will is that you're giving thanks to the Father because of what he's done. What has he done? He's made us meet, or the idea, he's made us sufficient or adequate to be partakers of the inheritance in the light. He's given you an inheritance in heaven. It's kept, it's reserved, it's in heaven for you. It fades not away, 2 Peter chapter 1 will say. It's like you have this inheritance in heaven, a place you don't belong. And you're wrong if you take it for granted as a believer. So give thanks to him because he made you sufficient to be there. That's why you're satisfied in him. That's why you're complete in him. Because he's given you this future that none of us, none of us would deserve. And so I'm going to go through life giving thanks to him. It's not going to be occasional or sporadic. It's not going to be contingent on my circumstances or how people treated me or responded to me. It is going to be based solely on what God has done for me in Christ. I have to praise Him. Look at what He's done. I have to give thanks to Him. Consider what He's done. Something that should be done regularly. It should be done personally. I I want us to do it corporately when we gather. But I hope it doesn't end there. I hope it carries you day by day through the week to go, you know what, as I live in the fullness of God's will, God, I just want to thank you. I want to give thanks to you because of what you've done for me, what you continue to do for me. Again, as we leave the text here at the end of verse 12 for now, I would challenge you, pray for yourself to live in the fullness of God's will and then strive to walk worthy. Pray for our church to live in and experience the fullness of God's will. Well, what will that look like? Well, it means we're going to be conducting life and God's just blessing what we do. Fruitfulness is present. We're being fruitful in every good work. It's God increasing our knowledge of him. Where it's like, just ask me what God has taught me about himself recently. Oh, man. I'm just growing. Some of this has been hard. Some of this has been great. But I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Man, I'll tell you what, in the hard times, it's been overwhelming, but he's just strengthening. He's just strengthening. Gone places again. I never would have wanted to. But he's given me endurance. He's enabled me to handle others with long suffering, and there's just joy. This is not me, but he's strengthening. So I'm just going to praise him, giving thanks to the Father. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we leave this text, it's very clear what the application for us as a church should be. Lord, I would pray that you would help us to live in the fullness of your will, that we would do it personally in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that, Lord, we would in turn conduct life, live life in a way that is pleasing to you. We know that's why we were created. That's why you've saved us. And so, Lord, toward that end, I pray that you would bless the good works that are done from our church family in every arena that they go in, that we would be fruitful to your glory, not to our own. Lord, we pray that you would help us to know you better, to not just get things biblically and doctrinally, although that's where it begins, but to see them practically and experientially in life. Lord, we know that to do that, to even just walk through what your will holds, the 
different circumstances, Lord, we know that we need to be strengthened with your might according to your power. And then, Lord, I pray that as a result, we would be people who just delight in giving thanks to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.